and welcome to the McCovey Chronicles Happy Hour podcast. My name is Sammy Higgins, and this week I was joined by Brady Klopfer. We didn't have a guest this week, so Brady hopped on at the last minute and we got to talk about all sorts of things, from the Giants' crazy run of wins and the trade deadline, to the NBA, Summer League, and the way people treat famous wives of athletes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Brady. Today I'm joined by our own Brady Klopfer. Brady, how are you? I'm doing wonderfully, Sammy. How about yourself? I'm good. Um, So thank you for joining me today. Uh, This week's episode is going to be a little bit different because we don't have a guest this week. So we're going to get to know Brady a little bit more and we're going to be kind of all over the place. Um, To start off with, Brady, can you tell the listeners a little bit about all of your many hats? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I am a writer alongside you at wonderful McCovey Chronicles, writing about the suddenly extremely fun San Francisco Giants. <laughs> um, also a writer at Golden State of Mind, which is SB Nation's Golden State Warriors site. And then I do a lot of WNBA writing as well. Um, I do some beat reporting for the Los Angeles Sparks. And I do some national writing as well, some podcasting there, some podcasting with the Warriors, obviously some podcasting with the Giants since I'm <laughs> here. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty much anything Giants or basketball related. Um, and I'm there. One of the things we like to do when we have guests on the show that we haven't done with you before is talk about like what made you fall in love with baseball kind of specifically and the Giants and um, sports more broadly. Yeah, so that's a great question that um, I don't have a great answer for, honestly, because I have loved baseball and basketball for longer than I can remember. Uh, It's one of those things that I don't have any recollection of being introduced to either sport. Uh, As far back as my memory goes, I loved baseball and I loved basketball and sports in general. Which is kind of funny because I I don't come from a family that's particularly interested in sports. Uh, So somehow they kind of figured out when I was very, very young that it was something that I might be interested in. And, um, you know, I remember playing catch and shooting hoops with with my dad and my older brother when I could barely walk. (laughs) So it's just just kind of been a, a lifelong thing for honest and and with the Giants in particular um, I was born and raised in Mendocino County which is you know about three hours north of the Bay Area Uh, so there was obviously the um, proximity there for for the Giants and the A's as well but uh, both of my parents who were raised in the Bay Area had been raised as Giants fans Um, neither of them were extremely into baseball uh, but my dad as a kid had been into it uh, certainly had a lot of stories for me of you know sneaking his radio into class so that he could listen <laughs> to Giants games and, and things like that so uh, even though they weren't big sports fans by the time that I came around uh, they both had that Giants connection of rooting for them when they were kids so naturally when it came time for them to introduce me to a professional organization uh, the Giants were were the one, and I I can't remember a time where I didn't love the Giants, to be honest. That's funny. Um, 
it's I think you're a few years younger than me, um, and I, I'm always surprised because I hear I hear stories now that I'm older that my dad he's always been a Giants fan, but he would sometimes not waver to the A's, but kind of like switch his interest to the A's when the Giants weren't doing as well. So I'm always <laughs> surprised that being born in the mid '80s that I didn't like end up an A's fan just because of the time period. Right. <laughs> But then, like, my first memory is, well, yeah, my first memory is watching the 89 World Series. So I get, like, what you're saying about as long as I can remember, I was just, like, baseball was part of life. Um, and, you know, the second memory being the earthquake during that series. <laughs> so you can, did you kind of get into it more, like, playing sports and then watching and listening? Or what yeah. What grew your interest? Was it yeah, like... playing it was, was first because I um... – was raised in a household that didn't have TV. We we had a TV with a VCR, but we didn't have cable or anything like that. Uh, so so it always every all sports started for me with with playing them. Um, and I was fortunate enough to uh, be raised on a big piece of land. Uh, I was homeschooled with stay at home parents or work from home parents and stay at home parents, and um, so they kind of fostered that playing outdoors with me. So, um, we played baseball in the yard all the time. And then, uh, my grandmother lived up the hill from me, just like a five minute walk up the hill, um, through the woods. <laughs> so, was it over the river? Right. <laughs> I was about to say, it's not, starting to sound like a fairy tale here. Um, but she, she was right up the hill and, and she had a cable subscription. So at some point, you know, I started getting introduced to, oh, you can watch sports. <laughs> and then it was kind of a, you know, I could go watch sports whenever I wanted, as long as, you know, I was willing to go take the walk up to my grandma's house. Um, but for the most part, it was playing and even listening on the radio. Honestly, most of my Giants um, consumption as a kid was on the radio um, because I could just sit in my room or even sit outside while I was playing baseball with myself sometimes. Um <laughs> and just turn on the radio loudly and, and, and listen to the calls of the game. So as a kid, it was, it was a lot more radio and a lot more playing than actually watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, but a little, a little bit of all. And did you, do you have siblings? Yeah. Two siblings, both older. Oh, okay. So were either of them, did they play with you like sports with you? Uh, my brother did. Um, he is not as into sports as I am, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of a bummer because he's he's a much more gifted athlete than I am. Oh, no. <laughs> I am not athletically gifted at all. And my brother is quite athletically gifted. Um, he was never he was never a sports fan in the fandom sense Like he didn't like watching sports. He didn't mm. he he wasn't a fan of, of the Giants or of any team, but he he really liked playing baseball mm -hmm. um so we had a lot of fun fun as as kids playing a lot um he was a first baseman a, a pretty good first baseman and uh, we used to play this game all the time where we would set up a a base in our yard a first base in our yard and my dad would hit me grounders and i would i would pretend to be a shortstop mm -hmm. and my brother would be the first baseman mm -hmm. um and we would just do this over and over where i would feel the grounder throw it to my brother and he would you know, go through the whole act of running back to first base, getting his footing right, stretching out for the for the catch. Uh, so that was kind of the bulk of my my playing was was playing that game with my with yeah. my brother. And um, how did you get into sports writing? Oh, so it was a it was a kind of 
long and circuitous route for me. When I finished high school, my dad was very thought very strongly that I would make a really good coach mm-hmm. um, because he thought, you know, it didn't work out as a player, but maybe it'll work. You know, you you understand the games, you you could make it as a coach, and that never appealed to me at mm-hmm. all because uh, it always felt to me like settling a little bit because as a kid I had just wanted to be an athlete so badly that like settling for being a coach just felt like second place in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I went to college and I studied writing um, and fell in love with writing as much as I fell in love with sports. And then a long time ago, six years ago or so, I was – I had just moved to Los Angeles. I was I was working at a restaurant. I half quit, half got fired. Mm, I've done that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know the drill. I do. Um, and I was looking for another restaurant job because I had moved to Los Angeles to to pursue film acting and screenwriting, and I was trying to find something that had a flexible schedule. Um, and all of a sudden, on a whim, I decided, all right, I'm going to try to see if I can do writing instead of you know, toiling away, bussing tables. Mm-hmm. So I went on Craigslist, honestly. <laughs> um, I found a job writing about the Giants. Oh, wow. Uh, that I somehow got despite not having any um, experience in sports writing. Mm-hmm. It was a startup that was kind of trying to do things in the espionation mold, mm-hmm. trying to do the a site for each team and community discussion and articles by community members and so on and so forth. And, um, they failed pretty, pretty miserably and, and went under after not long. Um, and somehow someone had seen me there and that led to a, a job at MLB.com for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, that was fan cave, right? Yeah. That was at the fan cave, um, but the fan cave at the time was well. I guess that was that was the last of the fan cave before they folded it. Um, okay. But the fan cave was being what's the word I'm looking for? Contracted out mm-hmm. to uh, to an ad agency. Oh. So everything everything on MLB.com was written in house except for the fan cave. Oh, weird. Yeah, it was very weird. So I started working there. Uh, I worked there for like four months before their contract with Major League Baseball ran up. Mm-hmm. And then they decided that they wanted to switch to everything in-house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the end of that. Um, ah. And then I, I took a break from sports writing for like three, three and a half years or so, um, mm-hmm. simply because it is a nearly impossible field yeah. to break into, especially if you don't, you know, go to journalism school, do an internship, do all of that. Right. Um, well, so I just the state of the industry. Yeah, the state of the industry is just there are so few jobs, so many people. I I just went back to copywriting, mm-hmm. um, or not went back, but I started copywriting. Um, and uh, at some point, all of my work ran dry, and I had some free time on my hand and, and started blogging about basketball. Uh, started a Twitter, started a Medium account, and... Um, wrote a few pieces and somehow one got noticed and things just kind of snowballed from there. Well, that's great. Um, I'm, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, Brady and I are friends, full disclosure. And um, <laughs> I've just been really proud of all of the things that you've accomplished over the last few years. So thank you. It's really awesome. I appreciate that. 
So, you were not able to join us at our McCovey Chronicles meetup game because you were in Las Vegas. Do you want to tell us why? Summer League. Yeah. A beautiful, horrible summer league. <laughs> beautiful, horrible. Okay, well, you're going to have to, for those that may not like follow the NBA and all the things that go along with it, do you want to tell people like what Summer League is and what like the experience of going down there is like? Yeah, so Summer League is an event in July every year in Las Vegas. Uh, it's it's grown from a pretty small event to an absolutely enormous event. Um, all 30 NBA teams come now. They all field teams that are based around... The idea is it's an opportunity to develop your young players, your, um, your rookies, your... For your second or third year players who haven't played big roles yet, uh, et cetera, et cetera, because NBA doesn't have a minor league system like baseball does. You don't ha really have that opportunity to bring players along slowly. Now, um, so wait, now uh, they don't have minor leagues like the Giants, or like the Giants, like baseball does. But um, what's what about the G League? Like, so how is what is that in comparison? So the G League is the best thing that they have done so far in attempting to be like the minor leagues, but it's still very, very far. It's a um, developmental league. It used to be called the D League for Developmental League. Now it's called the G League for Gatorade League because <laughs> it rules all. <laughs> is it seriously? Is that why it, they changed it? It is. It is the Gatorade League. Oh, my league. God. Sorry. <laughs> Just, they Wait, follow so the money. I'm gonna actually be be honest here because we cut out a little we're, we cut out a little section where I had to ask Brady if it was the D League or the G League because I honestly thought it was the D. And the fact that they changed it for Gatorade, are you kidding me? <laughs> that uh, endorsement money must have been good. Yeah, yeah, it was recent too. If that if okay. that makes you feel better. But I mean, um, um, so what type of players play? Is it the same type of players in the G League as you would see in Summer League? It's pretty similar. It's pretty similar. So basically, uh, you know, in baseball, you have all these players in the minor leagues that are under contract with mm -hmm. the team still, even if they're not on the 40-man roster, they still are with the Giants or whatever organization they're with, and that team has their control. Uh, and basketball doesn't have that. Basketball has, or the NBA has 15 roster spots and then two what are called two-way contracts. Um, which are basically extra spots that can spend a little bit of time on the team, but most of the time in the G League. Okay. Uh, and that's it. So they have those 17 players, and you don't get anybody else. Uh, so the G League is a, an opportunity for teams to kind of develop those players at the back of the rotation a little bit who maybe uh, aren't getting minutes anyway. And can they stash players there just in case? They they can stash not their obviously own... not not NBA like caliber players you're gonna find you know on the court playing good minutes but like players that they might want to bring up just in case later. In theory, like you can, but you don't actually have any control. So if you're trying to stash a player on your team in case you want them later, if they're not occupying one of your 17 contracts, any team can come along and gotcha. give them a contract. Um, so it creates a very funny, like the Warriors did this last year. They had a 17-year-old player in their G League, a guy named Alan Smilajic, 
who that's how you was, pronounce that okay, yeah, sorry. It's, it's a is a hard to pronounce name and i've said it wrong so many times but smilajic um but they signed him to their g league squad last year when he was 17 and ineligible ineligible to enter the nba mm-hmm. uh, and they thought he was so good that they basically shut him down so that other teams wouldn't see how good he was so that when the draft came around this year they would be the only team interested oh, in drafting. So him. wait, so the, he's not old enough to play in the end, or to be eligible for the draft. He or, wasn't last year, right? So, but he can still play in the G League. Yeah, so the G League is—they're trying to become an alternative to college um, oh, to okay. eliminate the one-and-done situation. Right, right, right. Um, it's been very slow. There have only been a few people who have actually gone that route, mm-hmm. um, but. There's some reasons to do it. Oh, yeah. Cheap for among sure. being you can be paid legally. Um, right. I mean, they, well, we could do a whole episode about the NCAA. So let's just oh, move yes. on. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so anyway, that long story short, G League is most of the players on a G League team aren't actually under contract with the NBA team associated with that G League team. And they can be contracted by any team. Okay, um, so back back to summer league, which is what we were gonna talk about. <laughs> so now, what is it like down there? Because I have almost gone, and I've heard stories about um, just that it's a wild time for all of the, um, especially basketball media people. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Anything it's, you can talk about. It's it's wild. It's, I mean, from from a media standpoint, it's almost every single person who is in nba media all in one place at one time are we talking uh, like the, the big name people too oh absolutely yeah wow. um and so it's just one of those places where you're you know standing there or you're sitting there and you're just next to you know adrian Wojnarowski or sham sharanya <laughs> oh or God. zach Lowe or you know bill simmons or or whoever um and and beyond that, it's just it's an awesome opportunity to schmooze, to network, to hang out with people. There's um, a tunnel behind the main court because there are two courts. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of referred to as like a schmooze pit because people just hang out there talking. And it's not just media members, but NBA players, mm-hmm. uh, NBA executives, coaches. Um, my my favorite story that I've had while being at summer league, this is the second year that I've gone as a credentialed media member is last year I was standing, standing behind the court and I was a few feet away from Jerry West mm-hmm. wow. who was having a conversation with, um, you know, someone on the Clippers, Doc Rivers or something. And this staffer who was working the summer league and, and the staffers are like, you know, residents of the university they're not nba people they're right. you know just contracted out from the university so, so this guy like who, exactly and this guy clearly you know didn't know the nba and he was trying to clear space for for someone to like for there to be more space for the players and he keeps like trying to move jerry west <gasps> he's like he's like sir i'm sorry you can't be standing here i need you to move back like two feet and he's wearing this nba shirt so he's oh. got jerry west <laughs> on his torso (laughs) and clearly has no idea that the person on his shirt is the person he's asking to like 
move back a few feet. How horrified was everyone around him? It was everyone was cracking up. It was <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, but that's just that's just what it's like. You you hang out out there. You meet the people whose writing you read. You meet the people whose podcasts you listen to. You meet the general managers and the coaches and the players. And it's it's tremendous from a media standpoint, but it's tremendous from from a fan standpoint too. It's it's um, it's kind of like the Comic Con of of basketball. It's a giant <laughs> convention. Uh, it's nerdy. Um, Sean Hyken, who writes at Bleacher Report, had a great article this week because one of the great traditions of Summer League is that people bring out the most obscure jerseys that they have. So it's like a collection of obscure, crazy jerseys that you've never seen before or haven't seen (laughs) in 25 years. Somebody bought that jersey? Right, exactly. So it's... Yeah, okay, so what's the most comment. obscure one that you've that you've seen? I have to ask because you basically set it up. The most obscure one that I've seen. Let's see. I saw this doesn't sound actually that obscure, but I'd never seen it before. I saw two guys sitting next to each other who both had Michael Jordan All Star jerseys from different years. Huh. Eighties, like, like late eighties. Right. Funky all-star jerseys and that's not like something you could get a like get remade now right you had to have bought that then and like maintained it over the course of decades exactly um so that was a very that was a very good one um i also saw a kyrie irving new york knicks jersey um (laughs) which someone obviously jumped the gun on that one a little early the knicks knicks fans are good at that they are. They're very so, good at that. Sorry <laughs> if I offended any Knicks fans that may have found their way over here. It's not your fault. It's a trash organization. It is. It is. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about baseball. Okay, so I want to preface this next section by saying that we're recording this on Thursday night, so any number of things could have happened between now and the time that you listen to this. But, Brady, I have to ask you, what are your thoughts on this crazy terror that the Giants have been on lately? I mean, my main thought is just that it's fun and it's not only fun, like in hindsight, like you sometimes, you know, every bad team has a good streak. And normally, you know, in the last like two and a half, three years when the Giants have had those little streaks where they win, you know, three in a row or five of six or whatever, there's always kind of this feeling that it's a little bit lucky, like they're winning the, you know, the one run games, they're getting those, the balls in AT&T or an Oracle park that are just dying instead of being home runs that save the game for them. And all these things where you're like, okay, that's cool that you won, but like at no point did I feel confident. Right. And right now it's, it's been the opposite, you know, as of the time we're recording this, they won 12 of 14 um, in four, in six of those 14 games, they've scored at least 10 runs. Uh, they've had one of the best offensive s- stretches in they the history. They had the best offense in baseball this month. Which is crazy. Like they've crazy. had the most home runs in baseball this month. Can you can you it's, believe that? It's I can't. so unlike them. And and as unbelievable as it is, each game feels authentic. You know, right. they're not winning games in fluky mm-hmm. baseball is weird manners. They're playing your great manners. 
exactly. Right. They're just playing great baseball, and maybe mm-hmm. it'll regress, but it doesn't change the fact that right now they're playing great baseball, and that's mm-hmm. fun. It's so fun. Yeah, I mean, like, this isn't, like, the best thing to admit, but, you know, I, I watch as many games as I can, but, you know, because part of our job is covering the games and, <laughs> and watching the games, it started with you know, the last few years has made it kind of start to feel at a certain point in the season kind of start to feel like a chore you know yeah. it's like i love this team don't get me wrong but watching them for the last couple of years has felt like even though it is work technically for me it's felt like work yes it's just not you know there have been obviously enjoyable moments and in memorable moments in good games and good performances so i don't want to you know say there hasn't been any good but like trying to like drum up especially when i'm not going to the game trying to drum up the like excitement that i used to feel about this team a few years ago it's just been hard you know um and and you know obviously we've been blessed by an abundance of success in the first part of this decade so it's kind of uh probably annoying to complain (laughs) but you know when you do have to watch the team regularly it is it does start to kind of suck your will to care yeah yeah, because absolutely. You can't, you know, you can't change the channel when you have to recap the game. No. You can't find something else to do. And obviously, this is like, you know, just a, a complaint for for people that cover the team. But that's both of us. So, and um, even people who don't, I, you know, I think there's some, you know, I think there are a fair segment of fans who, you know, for better and for worse, that's how they fan is is they watch most of the games in good times and in bad and i think there's kind of this misconception that if you watch most of the games of the team you love that it's because it's so much fun but sometimes it's just that you're invested and mm-hmm. it's and not it's fun and it's what you do and you get to you know 6 45 and you're like oh yeah there's a giants game time to turn that on <laughs> you know and, uh, and i've gotten out of the fun. habit of doing that like probably over the last year and, you know, it would be like I wouldn't miss a game. And then it's kind of like, oh, do I want to sit through that? And so that, like, going back to what the Giants have been doing lately, it's like, oh, man, I got to change the channel. The Giants are on. It's like, oh, man, I missed that feeling. Yeah. it's And to that, to that end, one of the things that I've really noticed is having that feeling with almost every specific player on the mm-hmm. team. Whereas, oh, you know, yeah. early on in the year when you have, you know, with all due respect to what I'm sure are wonderful people, but when you had the, you know, the Gerardo Parra's and Salartes and, and Michael Reed's and, and poor Mac Williamson, who I was rooting so, so hard for, but their at bats come up and you're kind of like deflated. Yeah. You're deflated. You just, you don't have any expectation. You really don't have much hope. Mm -hmm. And then for the most part, they come and go and just like, well, that was was exactly what I expected. Exactly. And now it's, I mean, yeah, I'm struggling to think of a person on the roster. I'm not excited to see their at bat. So uh, I keep going back to the game that we went to uh, a couple weeks ago, but there was this feeling there's, and it's been this feeling over the last couple of weeks, like you're describing it's like whenever a player, so it used to be bases loaded, like one or no outs you just assume they're not going to score that's just kind of how it's been (laughs) and you know i've always been the type like oh but what if they hit a grand slam and that kind of died over the last year (laughs) Uh, but this year i feel like every time well hell i mean this month i feel like every time anyone almost anyone comes up to bat i'm like they could hit a home run here because they have been and i love that feeling And, and it's not a feeling i think the giants fans have really gotten to feel in a long time i mean maybe 
2016 and before that, maybe you thought, oh, they could score here. But, like, home runs have never, and since Barry Bonds, home runs have never really been the Giants thing. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of like a giddy feeling. It's like, oh, so this is how the rest of baseball feels. Yeah. Yeah. It's been feeling like like we were kind of the uh, unpopular kid there that, that was being left out of this, this party. And now they're kind of in <laughs> on the party. It. Yeah. And it's. <laughs> It's so cool knowing that, oh, you don't have to wait for, like, Brandon Belt to come to bat to have right. a chance at seeing a home run. Right. And, you know, not to, like, say that small ball is, isn't as fun, and it certainly is, but it's just it's not the moments that gets a crowd compl- most of the time. It isn't the moment that gets the crowd on its feet or gets you freaking out, mm-hmm. you know, scaring your pets like a, <laughs> like a home run is. So that's just that's been really cool. Um, do you think it? Okay, I don't. I know we were just really happy and positive, and now I'm going to bring us back down. Do you think <laughs> that it's sustainable what they're doing right now? Certainly not at the level they're doing it. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think being one of, if not the best team in baseball, is sustainable. Uh, I do think playing good baseball, playing you know comfortably above 500 baseball, is. I don't want to say expected, but quite possible? quite possible um i think you know it's very easy to look at this at this team and go well sure they've they've been on this huge hot streak but they're still you know as of the time we're recording this they're still two games below 500 mm-hmm. even though they've been on this crazy hot streak um and and it's easy to kind of dismiss them and go well you know things are just averaging out they had a really horrible first half and a really good second half and and what they are is a team that's a little bit below 500 uh, but the reality is uh Farhan Zaidi has has made so many moves with the hope of finding players that can actually contribute and and he's found them and, and this isn't the same team that they were how much credit can we give to uh Alex Dickerson for this because it seems like he was the catalyst does it not yeah which is crazy yeah, he to came me. in. It it is crazy because because who in the world would have predicted that? But right. uh, he's played at a at a Bonzian pace. Um, he's inspired so much energy in the clubhouse through you know probably no attempt of his own, but just you know the good fortune of having a phallic last name, <laughs> um, and you know a bunch of wonderfully juvenile yes. teammates that love to yell it. Um, <laughs> And but it helps that he's hitting bombs too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You, you don't go around chanting that when someone you know grounds Bunts. into a double play yeah, or punts. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's been a huge a huge catalyst, and you know certainly he'll regress a little bit. Um, Austin Slater will regress a little bit. Well, don't tell Carmen um, that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope he doesn't. I I would love for Austin Slater to to be one of you know the best hitters in baseball. Um, but just because they're going to regress a little bit doesn't mean that they're going to regress into the below replacement level players that preceded them. Right. Uh, they they've been hitting great at, for a long enough sample size that you expect them to regress to still being functional quality. Players. Yeah, competent <laughs> baseball players. What what an idea. We haven't had those, especially in the outfield. But um, suddenly like- they're there. I made a joke about this on Twitter, but it, like, it feels like they just kind of took a nap halfway through 2016, and now they are finishing the 2016 season. 
I love that's what that. it feels like because it's like right after the All Star break in 2016, they just crashed and burned. I mean, they still obviously mm-hmm. made the playoffs because they had been the best team in baseball for the first half. Uh, well, I don't remember if they were, you know, completely the best team, but I know that they were one of them. I think so. And that coasted them through to the playoffs, and we all know how that goes. Oh, and that, well, <laughs> we'll we'll we'll, we'll revisit uh, that one in a little while. Um, but then, the, like the last three years have been such just like they didn't care you know yeah i don't i think i don't think that's a fair like thing to put on them because i'm sure that they cared but that it's just it's like these good players it seemed like they were regress all regressing well before their time Mm -hmm. so it's kind of nice to see not just the new people but some of the old faces start to like like brandon crawford oh yeah he was looking not great this season uh <laughs> Not, he was if, looking horrible i mean he's a good looking man so well, let's that's get that true. he was looking way. great in that regard right but i mean like even his defense had just like it, it's not like he didn't wasn't giving effort it's just that it wasn't there and he wasn't moving as sharp and then he comes out like this was it just this week my gosh uh and, <laughs> and he had the is it the eight rbis in one game in the yeah. 19 run game that was crazy um and so I guess we're kind of at a point now whether, you know, we obviously you said you don't think that it's sustainable at this level. Um, so Alex Pavlovic wrote a piece earlier this week saying that in order to reach everybody's kind of aspirations of getting that wild card spot, which is their only hope at this point because the mm-hmm. Dodgers are run away with it. Um, they would have to aim for, in his opinion, 87 wins, which they'd have to go 6-11 for the rest of the season, which is like how well the Dodgers have been playing so far this season. So it seems pretty unlikely. Do you think that's, do you think that's fair? Or do you think that they may not have to win that many games because of how close the field is on the National League? Yeah, I, I think there's a chance that they don't have to, to win that many. I mean, we're well over the halfway point of the season and and I believe the team and teams in the second wild card aren't playing at a pace that would require you to win that many games to surpass them um so yeah, nobody's really like run away with a spot yet yeah yeah the division leaders are running away with things but but the wild card teams aren't and those teams that are ahead of the Giants in the wild card standings have been underperforming a little bit and you kind of would expect them to maybe figure it out here at some point but on the other hand you know we're we're a good chunk into the season and they haven't figured it out so at some point you know you kind of have to throw the models away a little bit and go okay yeah sure you should be a 90 win team but you're not and maybe you're not the giants the last couple of years yeah exactly i think two seasons they got predicted at least the high 80s and vastly underperformed yeah that that did not happen (laughs) so now we reach the hard part with the trade deadline coming up at the end of the month do the giants sell like they we all initially thought they were going to do they god forbid buy or do they stand pat what do you think i think it is going to depend on how the market develops for the players that they do have i i think they're I think they're not going to buy. I think we can eliminate that. I don't think they should buy, and no. I don't think they will, unless it's for you know a, a tiny piece here or there. Right. Um, maybe if they have like an injury or something that they need to to fill in. As for whether or not they sell or or stand pat, I think I think a lot depends on how the market develops for players mm-hmm. like Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith, and 
beyond that, how Farhan Zaidi feels like um, discussions have gone with the representatives of those mm -hmm. players, because I feel like that's kind of a glossed over point when we talk about because it's kind of been a foregone conclusion since training camp that Madison Bumgarner, Tony Watson, and Will Smith are going to be traded. Uh, mm -hmm. Sam Dyson, if he has a good year, which he has. Mm -hmm. um, well, see, actually, this was the point I wanted to bring it back to the 2016 NLDS, is that, so this is my nightmare scenario, one of my nightmare scenarios. So the Giants maybe don't sustain what they're doing right now, but manage to play good enough baseball to get into the playoffs, which is a long shot, I'll give you that, but... Remember how 2016 played out when <laughs> Matt Moore had arguably one of his best performances of the season and only to watch the bullpen piss it away. And now imagine that again. We have arguably one of the best bullpens in baseball this year, which is a nice and rare treat. And I feel like if we got rid of all of the bullpen arms for prospects that aren't going to help the team, if they make the playoffs and they lose because of the bullpen, that's my nightmare scenario. Yeah, I mean, that would be as heartbreaking and cruel as you can possibly draw it up. And it's one of those th weird things. Bullpens are, are so odd because we know, you know, through the advanced metrics and whatnot, that they're not as important as starting pitching or as, as hitting, but they can be just the glaring difference in a oh, yeah. single game. Mm -hmm. um, and you can look at, you know, whoever the team would replace Watson and Smith and, and Dyson with, it might be a difference of like, you know, half a win above replacement. But, but if you then get to a, could be the game yeah. that sends you home from the playoffs. Exactly. So <laughs> it's a kind of, it's a hard, it's a hard one to figure out, but I do feel like with how well they've played lately, that it has to at least be on their minds that their window to contend could open as early as next year. Um, and so much of the discussion has been, you know, prior to the season is, well, when are they going, you know, when can we reasonably expect them to, to return to being a good team? Uh, yeah, is okay. it going to be? That's kind of opposite of, of my thoughts on it, because I oh, feel okay. like this could be their last window of contention with this era. Interesting. Okay. Because you have your Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Bell, uh, who am I forgetting? Pablo Sandoval. Your your older players that have been in this throughout this most of this run or part of this mm -hmm. run, um, who may not be with the team or, or would likely not be with the team by the time that they're good again. Because right, I, I don't know. That's that's one. That's the way that I see it. No, possibly. that's that's a very fair. That's a very I can't fair see them assessment. Rebuilding with these players, with the older players that they have. Like I can't see them being contenders in the mm -hmm. future with this same group. Yeah. No, that's that's totally fair. And and if that's the case, I think you you just kind of have to to bite the bullet and 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 sell some pieces off. Um but if you think I'm I'm just curious as to what the internal views are of the internal ev evaluations are uh because if if they're looking at it and going, "Okay, well, Alex Dickerson, Mike Stremski, Austin Slater, these guys are are good and they are going to be you know, penciled in as starters from day one next year. Well, and how nice would that be? That'd uh, be wonderful. To, to be know wonderful. who your outfield is going to be. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that hasn't existed for like a decade. But if they feel like, okay, we can run back the team that's been playing at an above average pace for these last two months, then I think you have to at least entertain the thought of, 
Well, what what does a team friendly extension look like for Madison Bumgarner? Because mm-hmm. um, if if they think there's a chance, you know, the concept of trading him has always kind of rested on the idea of you're not going to be good again until 2021 or 2022. But if there's if they at all feel like, well, maybe you're going to be good in 2020, mm-hmm. then why are you trading the guy when he has made it so, clear that he wants to be here and doesn't care that much about money and maybe you get him for something super team friendly like four years and 50 million dollars and if you're trying to win in 2020 that's probably better than what you're going to get for him on the trade market uh you know it's funny to me is i feel like actually madison bumgarner is the one that makes the most sense to trade this year and I, and i mean for both parties um the giants could maybe get something good for him um i feel like they i don't by saying I feel like they could replace him, I don't mean, like, exactly replace to his caliber. But right. they could replace him in the rotation. And honestly, I feel like it's his best bet as a free agent. Because if he sticks around and he's slapped with a qualifying offer, right. does he face the same fate as other players, other free agents have over the last couple seasons? Right. And... And, and maybe he does want to play with the Giants still, but they, there's nothing stopping them from signing the, signing him if they trade him this year. True. So I feel like financially, I think him being traded this season is is in his best interest. But yeah, I, that might not be something that he is interested in. So. And I agree with you that I think you know I think it makes sense for the team. I think it's ultimately what they will do. Um, and and I'll as sad as that would be, I will I would certainly support them trading him uh but i do think that the winning streak has to at least because it's coming primarily due to the contributions of players who maybe do factor in a little long term like your dickersons and your slaters Mm -hmm. uh i do think that they have to at least be thinking about what does next year look like instead of further down the road yeah i just feel like this is such it's i saw everybody mocking somebody who sent this online earlier and fair enough but i do feel like if the giant if the giants aren't able to keep like going the way they've been going lately and maybe not maybe not at the same level but like keep winning a bunch of doing a lot better let's put it that way if they end up regressing back down to like april or what they were doing in april and may Mm -hmm. um this is such like the worst time for them to have gone on a tear Yes. If that ends up what happens. <laughs> so I like I don't envy the front office at all because this has put the, this is just it, it makes all of the decisions that they were going to make that seemed pretty easy when the team sucked and it's like okay we'll trade everybody that you can and now it's like oh wait crap, they're winning every game yeah and you don't know if that's going to continue and I, yeah I don't I don't envy them and I I I don't really want to speculate on what I think they'll do because who knows who knows. Well, no, you may know now, but we don't know right now. <laughs> but we don't we're know when we're recording this last this. week. <laughs> but also, uh, it's one of those awkward things where, like, I feel like people are going to be quick to judge whatever they do oh, or yeah. don't do. And it's, I mean, so much of these is it's it, why I kind of always hesitate to say whether a team should or shouldn't trade a player is like, without knowing what the trade packages are, who can really say? Because, mm-hmm. like, if they keep Bumgarner, it's so easy to say, well, you made an idiotic move. You should have traded him. But what if no one really offered anything decent? Right. And th- that usually, at least in baseball, that usually doesn't really come to light. So we don't usually right. get that context. 
Well, and then even if you're like just looking at the gamble of should they try and make a run this season or just go ahead and go, keep working towards the rebuild, it's like if they trade Bumgarner and the relievers and whoever else, and everyone will be like, oh, well, they could have made it. They could have now at this point, they could have made a run at the playoffs and you don't know. It's like, well, you don't know either. Right. Because <laughs> Madison Bumgarner could have stayed. Will Smith, Watson, Dyson could have all stayed and whoever else. And they still could have just regressed. So it's like, you, you're, I really feel like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, unless they yep. make the playoffs with whatever yep. decision you make. And that's Absolutely. a shitty position to be in. It is. It's a horrible position to be in. And, and I certainly have a lot of empathy for, for the people who have to make those decisions because it's kind of one of those situations where they have to know that they're, they're, they might not be looked at fondly until sometime in the future when they mm-hmm. prove that they can build a consistent winner. And that's just the danger of taking over a bad team is mm-hmm. that you are going to be judged on every move until you prove that you know what you're doing. And you can't prove that to most people until, mm-hmm. you know, two, three, four years down the road. I think one argument to not argument, because uh, this is some of them, some of the arguments I make aren't so much from a reason or logic standpoint. They're from a fan, like fan perspective and the type of fan that I am in that this is Bruce Bochy's last season. And there's a big part of me that feels like right now with the way that they're playing, I'm like, give it a shot, man. Because wouldn't that just be the most like epic conclusion to this story of oh, this it'd decade be amazing. of Giants baseball for the Giants to come back and even your bullshit in 2019 with for Bruce Bochy's last season? I mean, you couldn't script it better. But but that's why I'm a writer and I don't run a baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very, okay, we're gonna very, we're fair. gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. So Brady, you have had two tweets go kind of viral over the last couple of days. Um, can you tell me about the one that you filmed at the Sparks game today? Yeah. So, um, for a little context, uh, every WNBA team has what is called Camp Day, um, which is a game they have during the day uh, on a weekday. So this this was a game between Los Angeles and Dallas. It was 12.30 in the afternoon on a Thursday. Um, and the concept is that it's a chance for a bunch of young kids to come to the game. So they give um, discounted ticket packages to groups. So you end up with, you know, a school, uh, you know, a boys and girls club, a, you know, this and a that, um, that all come together to the game. So the Sparks game today was sold out, which for Sparks is a little over 14,000 in attendance and probably 11 or 12,000 of those fans were elementary school kids, which is about as crazy as you would expect. (laughs) It's absolutely wild. Um, And they're just screaming nonstop. So, the Sparks have this great in-arena DJ, um, DJ Malski, who one of the things that he does is during timeouts, he plays popular songs and asks the fans to sing along. And then he'll cut the mic so that as the audience starts, or the crowd starts singing, he removes the song and you just end up with just the crowd singing. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. He does it all the time. It gets, you know, a good amount of people. Uh, but this time with, you know, 12,000 kids or so, 
they were hyper and excited and singing every song, you know, at the top of their lungs as excitedly as they could. And um, fittingly, he played Old Town Road and the kids lost their collective minds <laughs> in the most ridiculous of ways. Um, so I videotaped a chunk of it, uh, which featured, you know, him cutting out the audio during the chorus and just all these kids screaming, can't nobody tell me nothing. <laughs> I apologize to everyone's ears, um, but that was what it sounded like. Uh, and and put that on, on Twitter, which um, somehow made its way back to Lil Nas X, who retweeted it. Um, yeah, I got a tweet from you a few hours ago. I uh, got a retweet from Lil Nas X, which means that officially can't nobody tell me nothing. Which is how I was how I was feeling because I tweeted it and then I like went back to to um, the game and I've kind of been ignoring my notifications because I had like my first big viral tweet yesterday and it's just destroyed my notifications so I just have been ignoring them completely so I didn't realize that this one was going viral as well until Probably I was because Lil Nas retweeted it exactly like so many people tagged him he retweeted it and then it just exploded and like as of now i'm just like i have it open and it's doing that thing that you see where it's just yes. like loading the number and the number uh -huh. is just ticking up and up and up and up and up um but yeah it's been five hours the video's been viewed four hundred thousand times oh my god um and so, so let's talk weird. about the other video that you posted, did you take, okay, well, let's put, let's get into it first. Um, so you posted a video of Steph Curry. Was that from his uh, Instagram or something? Yes. Yeah. He okay. does a lot of videos on his Instagram, but doesn't put them on Twitter. Gotcha. So uh, I think this is going to be my rant this week, but I'm going to need your help setting it up. So apparently there was some kind of controversy, quote unquote, about Aisha Curry dancing at her restaurant opening. What was what was the quote unquote controversy? Um, so the controversy was primarily just the people are are idiots and assholes. Well, um, obviously. Which yeah, which is a given. Um Naisha Curry, for whatever reason, is kind of picked on by a lot of people. Um, I mean, for for the obvious reasons that people are, are picked on online, that she's famous, she's a right. woman. Um all I those think... I will pref I mean not preface, but I, I will add that there is I think there was a moment where she kind of stuck her foot in her mouth. Yes. Immediately deleted it and people just won't let her move on with yes. that. But yes. that's just beside the point because that was three three years ago. E yeah. yeah, three, three years, years ago. ago. Um, so yeah. anyways. So, so what she, what happened? Like So she opened up her I believe her fourth restaurant, International mm -hmm. Smoke. Um and she was at the grand opening of it. Uh, she was as one does when they are celebrating the opening of their business, uh, having a good time. And someone took a video of her doing um, the Millie Rock, which was mm -hmm. like a, you know, a popular dance move from however many years ago. Yeah, a while. And quite a while ago. I think like four years ago or so. And... And so she was she's doing She's a mom. That. Give her a break. Yeah. Yeah. She's a mom. And let's be honest. We all suck at dancing. Uh, there's a reason there aren't very many dancers in the world. Most of us are just <laughs> bad at it. Um, so she was she was doing her little Millie Rock. Someone caught it on camera and it just went. It just exploded with people making fun of of her inability uh, to dance. Uh, it didn't help like that she also had posted 
a few hours prior on her Instagram story a um, <laughs> very uh, dirty joke regarding Steph Curry um, that she had put. <laughs> she like, does that. She does that. She does that quite a bit. And a lot of times they're, they're jokes and people take them too seriously. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see this one, but we'll move on. It, it, was, it was funny. It was, it was just a very, like, classic, you know, dirty joke. It was nothing at all offensive. It was just funny. Um, but so she, both of those had, had gotten a lot of steam online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the one of her dancing just got a million people just making fun of her dancing. So then Steph went on his Instagram with her and they were in the car and he basically just flexed on people in, in the most uh, outstanding manner that you can <laughs> imagine. And, and basically said, uh, let me know everyone who's hating. Let me know when, when you're opening your restaurant and how you're dancing then. Um, and it was just very good chance that I happened to be on Instagram right when he posted it on his story. Right. Um, and for whatever reason, videos just do well on oh, yeah. on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. So I I recorded, just screen recorded him, his Instagram story. It was like three minutes after it came out and put it on Twitter. And that one exploded even more than the little Nas X one. That one is, you know, as I... It was like the, the video, well, it, I guess it, the, the GIF comes from a video, but you know the GIF that everybody uses of chef, uh, chef, Steph as the, the salt chef where he's sprinkling the salt. Yes, Salt Bay. It's like, yes, that was, that was kind of like a, a Steph's reaction in this video. Yes, absolutely. Um, it was great. So this kind of actually sets up like the, the rant that I wanted for this week because I know it's the venting corner, but mine is a rant this week because this is, this is like one of my biggest pet peeves is the shit that people say about and to Aisha Curry on social media. And the, the things that they say about her offline, too, but the, the stuff they feel emboldened to say to her online, it is so ridiculous. I mean, she is out here living her best life, doing amazing things, and she gets a level of disrespect I've never seen about, like, any athlete's spouse. Um, like, you don't see anybody saying this about, like, is Savannah James? Yeah, I don't want to, like, associate in this situation, but in terms of, like, the highest level basketball players i would say that they're comparable and people don't dig in on savannah obviously she's not a public figure but that's that's the thing though is they don't do this to players wives generally unless they're famous and then they feel like it's just open season and that is disgusting and the stuff that i don't remember not that i don't remember i chose not to dig in too much on whatever that stupid meme about James Harden and um, Aisha oh and something about a wedding picture. It is so disrespectful, and they don't feel comfortable doing that if the person that the athlete is married to is just a, you know, just a person and not a, a public figure. Right. But whenever they're, they, have, they try to have their own career that might be in the spotlight in some way, fans and fans of other teams just feel like they can be the shittiest versions of themselves. And you see it even in the Giants' own fandom. When Hunter Pence was on the team, his um, his wife, she may not be at Aisha Curry's level of like in, uh, of international fame, but she has a YouTube channel and she has a following, and she like shares their life and their adventures and their experiences. 
And because of that, fans felt like it was open season to attack her and blame her for 100 Pence's decline over the last few seasons. Like, oh, he's too busy being on YouTube, and it's his wife's fault. Ever since he got married, he's been a bad player. They sure don't see them, you know, giving her credit now that he's doing really well because that's not how it works, and that's not the point. But it's just, it's so disgusting to me. I, I, I cannot stand it. Yeah, I you you said that perfectly. It's it's gross. It's uh, obviously highly misogynistic. Um, it's the the worst of people that they suddenly feel compelled to put out publicly. And, and yeah, there's this there's this understanding among so many sports fans that you know the wives of athletes are supposed to you know, hide in the shadows and be grateful for the fame and money that is being brought to them by their partners and not live their own lives and chase their own aspirations and this, you know, but horribly the, traditional sense. At the same time, I, I, my, my feeling was that it was a general understanding that, you know, you can kind of talk shit about the players, but the, leave their families out of it. And that feels like, with specifically with regards to the Warriors over the last few years, that that has been thrown out the window in a way that I've never seen before. Um, between Aisha, um, the things people said about Zaza Pachulia to his yes. his family, it's I've never seen it. Maybe okay, I'm not gonna say it's never happened before, but it used to seem to me that families and spouses were like off limits. Yeah, and they absolutely should be and. And I don't know how that's changed, why that's changed. I mean, I think with Aisha, you know, a large part is because she has made herself a public figure and people suddenly think that that means that now they can say whatever they want because she has uh, chosen her own career that puts her somewhat in the spotlight. But the reality is no one who says bad things about her is saying those bad things about Aisha Curry, the celebrity they're saying those things about steph curry's wife steph and curry's family and that's they're where it's aggressive gross and like physically aggressive people get in her face people get in sonia's face his mom yeah it's just i i i i'm disgusted i'm disgusted by all of it i have been for years there was like a, gr a grace period i would say in like 2015 where the curry family was just like the darlings of everything and I don't know what triggered the massive turn people had on, mm -hmm. against them, but it has just been nothing. It's been but huge. Like people talk about their freaking kids mm -hmm. in in awful ways to Aisha. You don't really see people saying it so much to Steph though, because it's like, oh, well, I'll say it to the mom because it'll hurt more. Like people are yep. sick, and obviously it's this gross. represents a very tiny, tiny portion of sports fans. But they are sometimes the loudest and hardest to ignore. Yeah, and and as tiny as they may be, it's still a notable chunk. You know, mm -hmm. it's still especially a... to them, to yeah. Aisha. I'm sure that's the stuff that sticks out to her. Absolutely. How can it not? You wanted to talk about for your rant. Yeah, well, my rant is gonna pale a little bit in in comparison to that one <laughs> because it's just not as important, honestly. Um, that's okay. But... It's nice to balance it out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but but mine is just that watching this run that the Giants have been on, I know that we all fan differently, and that's one of the great things about sports. Uh, but I feel like there is a 
temptation often among sports fans to be overly pessimistic, I guess, to not enjoy what's actually in front of them because they're too preoccupied with what should be or what will be. Uh, and I think baseball fans in particular, because baseball, I think more than any other sport, represents the difference between process and results. And so often you have teams that are winning, but you know that the regression is is going to come and you know that they're way overperforming their projections for a reason and it's going to get bad uh, eventually. And uh, so often I think I think fans can't necessarily separate those possibly pessimistic ideas uh, with what might be a fun and optimistic package that is directly in front of them and aren't able to ultimately enjoy it. And, and for me, at least, the, the greatest thing about sports is the, the hope they inspire and the optimism they inspire and, and the idea that the unthinkable might occur and we might see something that we haven't seen before. We might see something that challenges our expectations and our beliefs. And, and the laws of, of you know, physics sometimes? Yeah, the laws of physics, absolutely. Um, and and I think sometimes we forget that. And, and I love the idea of judging a process versus the results. I think that can be very important. And I think that's a very fun way to fan because it gives you a kind of structured, long-term viewpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't have to come at the expense of what is in front of you. I think those things are a lot more compatible than some people think they are. And it's very possible to recognize when something isn't sustainable or at least when you don't think it will sustain while also absolutely loving that it's happening right? when it happens. Enjoying the experience. And see, that's for me, and I am not one of those people that like shits on stats. Um, I am not a stats person. Um, but I respect the role that they play in sports and the, and, and the good that they do. But for me, the fun of, of watching baseball is the experience. It's the story. It's the, I don't want to say narrative cause that can go pushed in the other way, but, um, I, I don't want a prediction to be accurate. You know what I mean? That takes the fun mm -hmm. out of it for me. So when you have a, pro a team that's projected to be the best or the worst team in baseball, it sucks when it follows the script, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh God, this again. Um, I like, and, and it's this thing that I've had, I've carried with me probably since childhood. I love, like we talked about earlier with the home runs. I love that feeling of, but what if, mm -hmm. and that hasn't completely been drained from me yet. It's always this, but what if they keep playing like this? And obviously they're not, I, well, I don't want to say obviously, I don't believe that it's possible for them to like rise and catch up to the Dodgers unless there's a massive collapse that we haven't seen before uh but i like that feeling when you i like that point in the season when they're not so terrible that they're completely out of it and they're still kind of in the race and the games matter mm -hmm. and i'm not ready to give up on that i, I, I like that 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 investment and that's part of the entertainment and yeah. the experience because when they get to the point in the season where they're eliminated then it's like what's the point like I, yeah i get the logic and the reasoning people have for like rooting for tanks and rooting for draft picks and rooting for trading everyone's favorite players but for me like the way that I enjoy baseball is 
as an experience and not as pretending to be the general manager yeah and trying to think like a general manager that's not fun for me that's never been a career ambition of mine um baseball is entertainment in a way i mean Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you're watching this for entertainment like you're not watching the. i mean we're watching this for work but it came from a place of watching it for entertainment and it's not entertaining to me to root for them to lose even if it may make sense in terms of them getting a good draft pick I, i don't understand why you would root for a team or say you root for a team if you're rooting for that team to lose and you're getting mad when they win like that drives me insane yeah Sorry, i've turned this into my rant no no <laughs> no i i love it and, and and i agree and um you know everyone does it in their their own way but um it can be it can be grating um but th- this is a little bit tangential to that so i guess this is kind of like a, a branch of of a new rant but um <laughs> And, and I hope this makes as much sense when I say it out loud as it makes in my head. I'm not positive if it will. But uh, there was a year a few years ago when Zach Greinke was on the Dodgers, when he and Clayton Kershaw were two of the primary candidates for the Cy Young Award. And there was some debate and discussion as to who should win. And Clayton Kershaw had much better advanced stats. Uh, you know, his FIP <laughs> and, and all that and, you know, strikeout-to-walk ratio, and, you know, all those things pointed to him being the better pitcher. Uh, But Zach Grinke, as his teammate, and therefore, you know, having the same defense behind him, the same opposition that he's facing and whatnot, had a much better ERA. Mm -hmm. And there was some discussion, you know, who should be the Cy Young winner. And most people felt, well, Clayton Kershaw should be the Cy Young winner. All the advanced stats say that, you know, he is the better pitcher. And my feeling was, you know, the, so many of those advanced stats are predictive, which is really important. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a pretty big difference between predictive and descriptive. And so many people said, you know, well, Zach Grinke's ERA was so low because, you know, he got lucky with sequencing. You know, all his hits were well spread out instead of having them in the same inning, et cetera, et cetera. And my feeling was like, well, yes, if you're looking at it going forward, you can make that proclamation. He got lucky. Maybe this isn't going to happen again. But if you're looking at it in a descriptive manner, which is how the, the season, Cy Young Award yeah, should be. how it should be and how the season ultimately is measured is descriptive, mm-hmm. then you have to look at what actually occurred. And even if you don't give him credit for the sequencing, the reality is he was the person on the mound when that sequencing transpired and right. the results were better. And I think sometimes we lose that in in watching sports and evaluating sports, especially in baseball, is we look at what is predictive, which is very important, but we forget that, okay, well, what transpired is still what transpired. And, you know, there's a reason that the play of the game goes to the person who hit the go-ahead home run in the eighth inning, even if they're not the best hitter on the team. Right, doesn't not the mean... person who was most likely to have yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't mean that person should hit clean up the next day. It doesn't mean that you should make them the most valuable player, but they're still the most valuable player of that game, even if that was statistically unlikely, and they deserve to be recognized as that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was very tangential. <laughs> but No, I'm good with it. I liked it. All right, well, Brady, thank you for being with me today. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to promote? Uh, yeah, well, I don't have anything that, that just came out that I would like to promote, but I do have um, two exciting things in the pipeline. 
Um, one is the WNBA All-Star Game is the weekend of um, July 27th, 28th. Uh, I will be in Las Vegas for that. Uh, back I'll, to Vegas. Back to Vegas for the third time this summer. Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, but I will be covering that for the Los Angeles Times, um, oh, so wow. people can can find some of my work there after the game. And then sometime during next week, I have I have a big feature coming out in in a big outlet um, that that I can't say right now. So that's <laughs> kind of a, a lame but promotion. But maybe by the time you re- you hear this, you can find Brady on social media and know exactly. what it is. Exactly. Stay so stay tuned to to social media because there will be there will be something that I'm excited about coming out. So how can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Brady Klopfer NBA. Uh, my last name is K-L-O-P-F-E-R, Brady Klopfer NBA. I have all of my work promoted there, or most of it at least. All right. Well, Brady, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciated having you on. Of course. Thank you, Sammy. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Big thanks to Brady for stepping in this week. It's always a fun time. Make sure you're following him on Twitter to find out what his big feature is going to be and follow all of his work. And make sure you're subscribed to the McCovey Croncast podcast feed so you can always catch new episodes of The Happy Hour, The OG Croncast, and The Prospect Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.